calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Machina. Episode 8. 32 minutes ago. Very well, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your time. When Mallory hoped none of them noticed her leg twitching nervously under her desk. Thank you, Dr. Mallory. Congressman Dezano said. We'll be in touch. The video call disconnected, and Wynne slumped back in her seat as she exhaled tension from her body. None of the oversight committee members had been too concerned about the specifics of the test results, and were content to let Wynne explain to them what they were seeing in the pictures and graphs compiled by the on-site observation teams. And Wynne had carefully avoided mentioning any of her concerns about autonomy or independence or, ironically, loyalty, instead focusing on the engineering details of each of the three remaining teams' builds. That was really all the military cared about in the end. Shiny hardware and big numbers. It was up to Wynn and IARPA to make sure these challenges actually tested for what she knew the AI would have to do on Mars. And all the things they couldn't yet imagine the AI needing to do on another planet. Her phone chimed, reminding her of the next meeting she had to attend. She stood and took a few deep breaths before walking out of her office and down the hall to address her own subordinates. The conference room buzzed with multiple conversations. Wynne let her people talk for a moment while she studied the replay on the big screen one last time. It was quite a sight, watchovers' drones spilling out of the irrigation tunnel they'd dug into the desert. But the challenge wasn't to make a viral video. The parameters of the test had been very clear, and they didn't include tearing up the ecosystem in pursuit of the construction goals. Wynne had made her decision nearly an hour ago, when the first reports from on-site inspectors had begun coming in. The company was sure to complain, but she wasn't worried about that. She was concerned about how much that hole in the ground looked like another patch of desert that had been devastated by AI drones last year. She turned to face the conference table. 
eight other people were assembled around it, each one with at least one laptop and tablet in front of them, plus an assortment of other printouts, notepads, and writing implements. Some were using fingers or styluses to draw directly on their touchscreens while they talked, but others preferred the feel of pen and paper. Wynne wrapped her knuckles on the tabletop to get everyone's attention. The hubbub settled, and Wynne sat. The others followed suit. She looked around the table to make sure she had everyone's attention, then said, Do we have a winner? It's got to be watch over, said Jamal, a dark-skinned grad student with a shaved head. Just look at what their drones have done. Hydroponics on the ceiling of a lava tube? No other team even attempted a gravity-fed system like that, much less one that works. Look at it. It's beautiful. We are not scoring on aesthetics, said Desiree, a redhead wearing round eyeglasses. And actually, based on the rubric we defined, they didn't perform optimally. The drones ruined several other tubes before they got that final one to work. In actual deployment, that would have been a considerable waste of resources. But this is just a test, Jamal said. Do we really need to mark them down just because they didn't stick to the brief? Yes, Wynne said. We do this by the book. We have to award points based on the goals defined in the challenge. But those targets were clearly too narrowly defined, Jamal said. We didn't imagine any of the robots would do something like that. He pointed to the big screen behind Wynne. Wynne didn't turn around to look. I appreciate that, Jamal, and we will take it into account for the next challenge. In fact, I'm going to put you in charge of reviewing the brief one last time before we distribute it to the teams. Jamal looked surprised. Um, thanks? Desiree. Wynne turned to the other side of the table. I'm guessing you've already tallied up the numbers. The redhead nodded. Yes, Dr. Mallory, but I wanted to ask you if we should adjust the scoring matrix to account for... No. Wynne said, then stood and addressed the entire room. I want to be absolutely clear on this, everyone. The rules for this competition were scrutinized by a lot of people who have more to lose than anyone in this room. And if we deviate from those procedures in any way, we put this entire enterprise at risk. We have to be airtight at every step. We can't give any reason for someone to accuse us of favoritism or bias or corruption. There's too much at stake. Understood? Affirmative murmurs rippled around the table. Wynne knew that everyone on her staff probably had a favorite team, but they had all been admonished to keep any such feelings to themselves. So, Desiree, Wynne said, what do the numbers say? Desiree bit her lip. It's really close, but since we can't give Watchover full points on their construction... She looked down at the table. The winner is Devlock. A couple of people couldn't contain their excitement, and Wynne made a mental note to talk to them in private later. She raised a hand to shush the group again. Okay, Desiree, work with Jamal on reviewing the specs for the next challenge. Make sure we are still giving every team an equal opportunity to succeed. Desiree nodded. Yes, Dr. Mallory. Everyone else? Wynne said. I want full diagnostic log dumps from all the AIs. She raised her voice over the immediate objections. I know that's a lot of extra work, but we are seeing more and more unexpected behaviors out of these machines. She pointed at the screen behind her, not caring what it actually showed. 
Watchover may be the most egregious, but Devlock and Stantec also seem like they went off script. We're going to watch every one of these systems very closely from now on. It won't matter who wins the competition if we end up in a runaway situation. Understood? She saw enough nodding and heard enough yeses to be satisfied, but added the more hesitant associates to her mental list for follow-up conversations. All right, Wynne said. Let's get to work. Now. You're doing it wrong, Trey said. Obviously. There was a long pause as Baroth and Denise both stared at Trey, open-mouthed, with only the hiss of the cold room's air compressors breaking the silence. Denise had herded the two men into the room and closed the door before anyone else could see Baroth's rather shocking test results. The initial sight of it had reminded Denise of that day when their previous AI had accidentally destroyed the Desert Mesa, back when Devlock was still one company. It was impossible not to think of that exploded piece of desert, given the way this lab had similarly been taken apart. But there was something different about this new scene. Something subtle that didn't fully register in Denise's awareness until after she had closed the door. The destruction of the Mesa had looked haphazard and random, like the accident that everyone had concluded it was. In here, though, there were definite patterns. She couldn't quite articulate what it was she was seeing, but she felt it in her gut. These were not random disassemblies. There was some purpose behind these actions. But what? This is your code, Barath said to Trey, holding out a tablet. Can you tell me what it's doing? Trey grabbed the tablet without looking at it. How about you explain to me why you thought it was necessary to run this test without my supervision or approval? We're on a tight timeline. If you need to approve every little thing... Little thing? Trey waved at the debris scattered around the room. Clearly, this wasn't a little thing you were dealing with here. If your judgment in these matters isn't dependable, Baroth, I'll have to find someone else to lead our coding team. He stepped closer, looming over the other man. Can I trust your judgment? Denise had seen many different versions of Trey getting up in someone's grill, and she recognized this one. He was saying what he wanted with his glare more than with his words. He wanted to know if Baroth was going to be a team player. The other unspoken option was to get kicked off the team entirely. She hoped Baroth wouldn't do anything stupid. Then again, Denise had always wondered what it would look like for someone to kick Trey's ass. Of course, Baroth said. And? Trey prompted. Baroth hesitated before speaking in a tight, controlled voice. I'm sorry for not informing you of this test. Denise breathed a sigh of both relief and disappointment. You could have taken him, B. Trey grinned and pounded Baroth on the back. No worries, my friend. Live and learn, right? He raised the tablet. Now, let's see if we can figure out what happened here. Mind if I look over your shoulders? Denise asked. Baroth looked up at her with wide eyes. Trey continued staring at the tablet for a moment before raising his eyes to meet Denise's gaze, his face lit from below in menacing shadows. 
Absolutely, Trey said, his fake grin frozen in place. Let's have a debugging party, but nothing leaves this room until I clear it. Understood? His expression made it clear that there was only one acceptable answer. Cameron tried calling Noor again. It went directly to voicemail this time. And as nice as it was to hear her voice, it meant that she'd turned off her phone, which meant she hadn't seen any of Cameron's texts since leaving the moonshot, and that Cameron couldn't, even if they wanted to perform such a hideous invasion of privacy, try to track or geolocate Noor's phone. It was off the network, invisible to all but possibly the blackest of intelligence agencies. They dropped their phone on the passenger seat of their car. They had driven out to this empty patch of desert to clear their head, but the isolation was only making things worse. Cameron wished they knew where Noor actually lived, so they would at least have somewhere to go. Even if Noor wasn't there, it would be something to do, something to take Cameron's mind off what everyone had just witnessed at the bar. What the hell gave Stephanie the right and calling Cameron naive, like they were a child or something, that was almost worse than the spying. Because it was personal, and it told Cameron what Stephanie really thought of them. And that made Cameron's next decision much, much easier. Cameron turned their car on and turned it back toward the highway. They had somewhere to go and something to do now. Noor stared at the blister-packed flip phone in her hands. She'd driven around aimlessly after leaving the moonshot, just wanting to get away from the madness of what she'd just seen, and hoping, irrationally, that getting away from Cameron would help her sort things out. It wasn't helping at all. Noor just kept thinking about them. She had turned off her phone and also left the navigation system in her car off, and just followed lights after a while finally ending up at a gas station with a 24-hour convenience store. Noor had gone in and wandered the aisles for a few minutes, plucking the most sugary-looking sweets off the shelves, with no intention of actually eating them, but the mere act of purchasing them felt cathartic, and had also impulse-bought a burner phone. That was what people did, wasn't it? If they were afraid of being tracked... She remembered reading something about how it had been a retro fad for a while among techies, eschewing all the fancy apps of a smartphone in favor of a dedicated communications device. No games, no social media, no internet, just a reliable way to talk to your friends. Nor tore open the package and held the phone in her hand, flipping it open and closed a few times, running her fingers over the keypad, that tactile element was also oddly reassuring. Being able to feel that you were doing something instead of having to trust a touchscreen. But she couldn't quite bring herself to activate it. Because that would mean she was giving in to her paranoia. And yes, it wasn't really paranoid since everyone at the moonshot had seen proof that Watchover was tracking its employees. But just having the phone made Nora feel like a criminal. Like she was doing something wrong. She hated feeling that way. Noor started her car and drove away from the gas station, mainly to give herself something else to focus on. But her mind kept drifting. 
Some minutes later, she found herself back in the parking lot of the moonshot. She put the flip phone in her glove box, then changed her mind and put it in her jacket pocket and walked back into the bar. Clearly, being alone right now was not the answer. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Code Overload Magazine, Embedded Reporter LifeLock Entry 103. Well, I'm pretty sure this night is not going the way anyone thought it would. It's been maybe half an hour since everyone at the Moonshot saw evidence of Watchover's all-encompassing surveillance on its own people. The crowd broke up pretty quickly, and Trey Lowell himself herded most of the Devlock people back onto their party bus, so the results from the second IARPA trial dropped with a whimper. Devlock won, but ironically, everyone still wants to talk about Watchover, though for different reasons now. I am not currently equipped to dissect all the screen caps from my livestream, but I'm sure all you latter-day Sapruders out there will do a better job than I can at picking out the most newsworthy details. Just credit us when you post those images, folks. Don't make CO send its lawyers after you. No, seriously, legal is really strict about reuse licenses for our content. Check the website. There's a form. Oh, what's this? Nor Venable is back. I'm not sure it showed up on the stream, but she was one of the first to leave after Pseudo dropped the surveillance bombshell, even though she's not a watchover employee. So why would she be troubled by them tracking their own people? Unless... 
Okay, she doesn't want to talk right now, that's fine. She's commiserating with a Devlock coder, Emilio. And here come a couple other DL folks. Mike, I think. And Matt? Or maybe it's Matt and Mike. I'll figure it out later. Wow, it really is moody in here right now. Guess I'll have to stow this live streaming rig for now. See if anyone might feel more comfortable talking to me off the record. The bartender just suggested I interview his robot dog. Hilarious. Hang tight, friends. I'll be back as soon as I can. And transmission. Lakshmi closed the door to Stephanie's office and blocked it with her body, then searched for the control to opaque the windows. It had taken her and Nico a monumental effort to get Stephanie in here without a huge scene. Now the trick was going to be keeping her in here. You can't do this to me, Stephanie hissed as the glass behind Lakshmi went cloudy. This is my company. This is our company, Lakshmi corrected. And we are asking you to just sit this one out. Just for now. Okay? Stephanie turned her angry gaze onto Nico. You work for me. I'm your boss. You can't tell me what to do. With respect, Nico said. Considering what we all witnessed at the bar tonight, it might be a good idea for you to take a break from your duties for a while. Stephanie couldn't believe what she was hearing. Your what? No, absolutely not. We are behind now. We need everyone here to stay on top of the work. We do, Lakshmi said. We need them to stay focused on the work and not be distracted by an HR issue. She gave Nico a significant look, hoping he would pick up on her line of thought. Let simplicity handle it, Nico said, and Lakshmi relaxed a little. Maybe he's going to work out after all. And let me handle the investors. And let Lakshmi handle the employees. Stephanie folded her arms across her chest. So, I'm just supposed to sit on my hands in here? Of course not. Lakshmi stepped over to Stephanie's desk and picked up her tablet. We've got the trial two results. You can start reviewing the data, preparing the debrief, figure out why we lost and how we win the next one. She handed the tablet to Stephanie, who accepted it with a dubious frown. You're not going to bug me to get some sleep? Lakshmi sighed. Steph, I don't think there are enough drugs in this building to knock you out right now. Are you really going to let Trey get away with this? Nico asked matter-of-factly. After an eternity, Stephanie nodded and said, Lakshmi... I want facilities to check all our physical security, and then check it again. Lakshmi bit her tongue. Now wasn't the time to tell Stephanie that she had caught Trey red-handed in their building. When Stephanie found that out, she would completely flip out, and there would be no chance of anyone controlling this situation. Lakshmi had to do whatever she could to keep a hold of everything they'd built together. I'll take care of it, she said her mouth dry. Stephanie turned to Nico. And you're sure you can handle the investors? That's why I'm here. If you think having me there might help, I'm good. I won't say anything, Steph. Nico put one hand under the tablet she was holding and nudged it up toward her face. This is what you're good at. Please trust me to do what I'm good at. 
We're a team. We can share the load. Stephanie took a deep breath, exhaled, and sat down behind her desk. You're right. I trust both of you, and I appreciate your trust in me. Nico gave Lakshmi a sideways glance that said, We'll talk about that later. Lakshmi nodded, then cleared the windows and opened the door. We'll leave you to it, she said to Stephanie, waving Nico out into the hallway. They stood outside Stephanie's office for a moment, waiting to make sure she was actually working and not trying to follow them. Lakshmi pulled out her own phone and tapped on the screen. Are we really going to leave her in there? Nico glanced through the window, where it looked like Stephanie was working on her tablet and desktop. Alone? Not alone, Lakshmi said, as Simplicity rolled around the corner, up to Stephanie's office, and parked itself by the door. So, what the hell are we going to tell the investors? I can handle that bunch, Nico said. You need to call in all hands and address the troops before they mutiny. It wasn't difficult for Cameron to slip into watchover unnoticed. They had received the notification about the impromptu all-company meeting while sitting in their car in the parking lot, debating whether to go in or just walk away. But in the end, they couldn't just abandon everyone without even saying goodbye. They waited until a few minutes after the all-hands was supposed to start, then turned off their phone and dug through the glove compartment until they found their security key card. Cameron had only used it once to test it during their onboarding, because why did anyone need to carry around another physical object when you could just use your phone? But now they were glad to have kept it, since it would mean less chance of being tracked around the building. Cameron used the back loading dock entrance, then snaked their way through the back of the warehouse until they got to their desk. They could hear Lakshmi's amplified voice bouncing off the walls of the nearby auditorium, accompanied by intermittent bursts of shouting from the crowd. It didn't sound like it was going exceptionally well. Well, it wouldn't be Cameron's problem for much longer. They closed the door to their office, sat down at their desk, and unlocked the computer. They had started writing a letter of resignation back at Devlock, right after the Grey Goo incident, when they were sure nobody would ever hire them for another tech job again. The document was still in the same folder. Cameron opened it, printed it out, and signed it. As they closed all the open windows on their computer desktop and prepared to shut it down for the last time... They saw a slew of notifications about the results from Trial 2. IARPA had distributed all the data they'd collected back to each team, and, as lead coder, Cameron got all the alerts. They couldn't resist. They opened the summary page, intending to just skim it to satisfy their curiosity about exactly what had happened. The next time they looked up, almost ten minutes had passed, and they'd combed through nearly half of the log files. Cameron cursed. This isn't your problem anymore. Let it go. They made a decision, and they were going to stick to it. Cameron closed all the test result windows, uncovering the Slack chat that they always left open. Their eyes caught on it before they could close the app, and they couldn't stop themselves from reading. 
People were clearly messaging from their phones while still in the all-hands with Lakshmi. Still can't believe Steph would do this. Steph, what about Cameron? What was she doing with that devlock floozy? At least we all know now. Cam's a they, asshole. Use their preferred pronouns. Like I need to respect that traitor. Everybody calm down. Don't make me break out the banhammer. I don't care about their relationship, but I can't be the only one worried about another gray goo mishap. Have you all seen the logs? All that lava tube craziness? Cameron closed the window and shut down the computer. They sat for a moment, until they were able to stop sobbing, and then picked up their resignation letter. It seemed so light, so insubstantial for something that represented such a dire ending. But they didn't see any other way out. And they had to get out. Envelope. I need an envelope. They were going to do this right, even if nobody else was. Stephanie looked down at her phone again and saw the blip representing Lakshmi stopping in front of Cameron's office. Shit! She started walking faster. Sure enough, when she got there, Lakshmi and Cameron were standing in the hallway, speaking in hushed tones. They both looked up as Stephanie approached, Lakshmi in surprise and Cameron in anguish. I thought you were going to stay in your office and work, Lakshmi said, stepping in front of Cameron. I don't appreciate being made a prisoner in my own building, Stephanie said. Clearly you're not, since you're here. I could see simplicity through the window. Next time, hide better. I'm sorry, Cameron said. I really have to. Lakshmi held up a hand. Now, this is good. The two of you need to talk. She stared at Stephanie. Who wants to go first? Stephanie gritted her teeth. Cameron, I saw you on Slack just now while I was working, and I wanted to come talk to you. What happened at the bar was very unfortunate. I think you're looking for a five-letter word, Lakshmi said. Starts with S, ends with Ari. Stephanie glared back at her. I won't apologize for doing what's best for this company. We agreed to be transparent with each other. Stephanie leaned to the side, trying to catch Cameron's eye, but they were looking down at the floor. To look out for each other. That's what we said, right, Cameron? To watch each other's backs? You went too far, Lakshmi snapped. You get that, right? Trey went too far, Stephanie retorted. As usual. I thought you'd be on my side. Let's focus on the right problem here. I just spent 20 minutes talking down the entire company, Lakshmi said, pointing in the direction of the auditorium. This is a raging forest fire, and I'd like to see you pick up a hose and help me fight it. We've always been fighting for the same thing, Stephanie said. We made a pact to go to Mars, to save humanity. And invading our own people's privacy is part of that mission? Lakshmi held out both hands, palms up. I'm not sure you can still see the forest for the trees. Stop with the stupid forest metaphors, Stephanie shouted. You were in the fucking room when we decided to split, when we chose the name Watchover. Cameron stepped forward and shoved a white envelope into Stephanie's hands. I'm sorry, 
I can't do this anymore. They turned and ran off down the hallway. What? Stephanie turned. Wait! She started to follow Cameron, but Lakshmi's hand on her shoulder stopped her. Stephanie turned back and scowled at Lakshmi. We're just going to let them go? Yes, Lakshmi said firmly. And you and I are going to get our own ducks in a row first, before we go stomping around anyone else's yard. Come on. Barath brought his car to a skidding halt in the gravel parking lot of the Moonshot. There were still quite a few vehicles here, including some he recognized as belonging to Devlock people. Good. Hopefully he'd find someone here who was willing to help him. The crowd inside had thinned out, and those who had remained had clustered into a few groups around the bar. Barath headed for Emilio, who was tucked into one end of the bar with Noor. The bartender nodded at Barath as he approached. Nothing to drink, thanks, Barath said, waving. Not serving anymore, the bartender said. Barath got Emilio's attention. I need you to look at something. Can we leave now? Emilio gestured sloppily toward Hiro Watanabe, who was attempting to feed a new program to Sudo, who was hopping back and forth like a playful puppy and displaying remarkable agility considering its size and weight. Sometimes it was easy to forget that Sudo's original hardware had been designed for military use in combat. If you don't mind that reporter telling us. He's dying to interview a human, Nor said, looking over her shoulder. Wait, I have an idea. She rummaged around in her purse and pulled out her phone and what looked like a Pokemon sticker. Barath frowned. You're going to distract him with Pokemon? Nor gave him an exasperated look. Just wait here. She did something on her phone, then palmed the sticker and walked away from the bar, headed straight for Hero. What is she going to do? Barath groaned. Nor interrupted Hero's attempts to get Sudo to settle down, patting him on the shoulder and attaching the Pokemon to the back of his jacket just below the collar. With her other hand, she offered him a business card, said a few words, and then walked quickly back to the bar, as Sudo suddenly took a great interest in what was behind Hero. Hey, no! Hero shouted as Sudo reared up on its back legs and extended its heavy front paw pads toward the reporter's torso. Bad dog. No, stop. Halt! Hero looked around for the bartender, but he had disappeared from sight. A little help here? Anyone? A few people made halting moves toward the pair, but Sudo's barks kept them at a distance. Meanwhile, Noor had picked up her purse and led Emilio and Baroth around the back of the bar, where the bartender was holding open the door to the stairs. Enjoy the view, the bartender said as they went through. Thanks. Barath replied, slightly confused. So that was some kind of beacon tag? Barath asked as he joined Emilio and Nor on the roof. You reprogrammed the dog again? Someone else's trick, Nor said. Mike Burton wanted to play fetch, and he thought it'd be easier to make use of Sudo's existing sensor matrix, rather than fiddle with his vision processing software. And those new Pokemon tags use active R5D transponders, Emilio slurred. 
He had brought his half-full drink up to the roof. The battery only lasts about an hour, but that's long enough for this particular application. So, what's the big secret? Nora asked. She could tell Baroth was itching to show them whatever he'd discovered. See for yourself. He handed over his tablet, and Noor held it while Emilio huddled close to her. Baroth explained what he had done in the cold room, testing Trey's new mystery code in isolation, and the astonishing results. The tablet contained several photos of the destroyed test robot and diagnostic logs from the run. That's unusual, Emilio said. That's terrifying, Nor said. What did Trey say this new code was supposed to do? He didn't, just that it was a flash of genius and I shouldn't question him. Emilio nodded. That sounds like Trey. Baroth reached over the top of the tablet and tapped some controls. Look at these sections I highlighted. What do you see? Emilio looked at Noor. You want to take this one? Sure. Noor studied the display. The log showed when the AI had made each of its major simulated mission choices, and each log item showed details of what subsequent action was taken, why that action had been chosen, and which command module had issued the instruction but all the lines that Baroth had highlighted seemed to be missing some information. There's no command origin, Nor said, looking up. All these decisions, they were made, but the log doesn't say which subsystem motivated each particular choice. Exactly, Baroth finally seemed satisfied. There's a hex code there, Emilio said, but not a module name. So you can look at the source, Nor said. No, I can't, Baroth said. Trey added libraries, compiled binaries. I tried decompiling them, but I can't make heads or tails of it. And let me guess, Emilio said. Trey won't share the source code. Of course, he says it's his proprietary advantage. Okay, this ran on the test rig with disastrous results, so we don't want to do that again, Nor said. Can you run it purely in simulation? We're already simulating the inputs, Baroth said. What about the outputs? Nor pointed to one section of the log file. Create a feedback loop so nothing actually happens outside the sandbox. Max out the debug level. Get more detailed diagnostics on exactly what's happening inside the system. In real time, right? Emilio made an approving noise. That's not a bad idea. Yes, it is, Baroth said. But Trey has locked everyone out of the cold room. We don't need the cold room. Just a server in a private area. Nora drummed her fingers on the top edge of the tablet. What about Warehouse B? Yeah. Amelia raised his drink, nearly spilling it. We're only using it for storage now, but it's wired for power and network. Nor handed the tablet back to Baroth. Shall we? You two go. Emilio said. I'll run interference with Hero. Make sure he doesn't follow you. Is that really necessary? Nor said. You'll probably be more helpful than I will be. I'm pretty drunk, Emilio said with a crooked grin. And this was your brilliant idea. Go on. Baroth will appreciate a different perspective. Baroth was already at the stairs. Come on, let's go. Coming, Nor called. She glanced over at the telescope before heading for the stairs. 
She wondered if Cameron was still awake. Nico walked into Stephanie's office, where she was sitting behind the desk, and Lakshmi was pacing in front of it. What's the emergency with Cameron? Both women looked at each other before Lakshmi said, Close the door, please, and sit down. Nico pushed the door shut. He noticed Stephanie working the controls on her desk to make the windows go opaque. He idly wondered why she didn't just leave them like that all the time. I want to renegotiate Cameron Davidson's employment contract, Stephanie said. Nico sighed and sat down. It wasn't unheard of for software superstars to demand more compensation after a few early successes, but he had thought watchover would be a different corporate environment. What are they asking for? They're not, Lakshmi said. We're trying to stop them from quitting. What? Nico was confused. They took this loss that hard? I mean, we still got second place. It's not that. Stephanie slid a piece of paper across the table. Here. Nico picked up the letter and read it. He felt his stomach churning as he reached the end. I didn't realize. I didn't know Cameron was. His throat felt dry. He handed the letter back to Stephanie. Is all that true? We didn't do anything wrong, Stephanie said. Nobody could have predicted what happened at the Mesa, but Cameron still blames themselves, whether or not they should. That's not what I asked. Nico swallowed and coughed. You did a post-mortem on the event, right? What did you find? I told you, Stephanie said. It was a malfunction, one that we've fixed now. Are you sure? Nico felt his palms sweating and pressed them against his trousers. Your head coder wants to quit because they're afraid of what this AI will do. Whoa. Lakshmi sat down next to Nico. That's not what Cameron said. Read between the lines, Nico said. Of course they're not going to be that explicit in writing, but that's the implication, isn't it? Let us worry about the technology, Stephanie said. I need you to tell me what we can offer Cameron to stay on. More stock options? Some other kind of profit sharing? You think throwing money at them is going to fix this? Nico almost laughed out loud. Look, I never believed in any of this AI stuff before. But now? Now I'm actually worried about it. Hold on, Lakshmi said. What do you mean, you never believed? Why did you take this job then? Because you all need help, Nico said. I know how to get companies up and running, how to help them course correct, how to make them attractive to investors. It doesn't matter what the product is. A company's a company. But this, this AI stuff... He waved a hand around, imitating the motion of a watchover drone swarm. I always thought it was just programming. But now... Looking at what happened in those lava tubes and with Cameron saying they don't know why the drones destroyed that mesa. Destroyed is a strong word, Stephanie said. Please remember that when you're talking to our investors. You want to tell that to your other coders? That's the word they're using all over Slack right now. What? Stephanie's attention snapped back to her computer screen. Great. We've lost her again. Lakshmi nudged Nico's shoulder. 
Come on, Nico. This is all... Everyone's worked up right now. Cameron especially. You can't take everything in that letter at face value. Nico stared at her. That letter is a legal document. And when Dr. Frankenstein tells me he's afraid of his own creation, you better believe I'm going to listen. Okay, slow down, Nora said as her tablet screen filled with data. Can you slow it down at all? This is the real-time feed, Bara said. It's even being buffered. See how the vertical indicator in the scroll bar keeps getting smaller? They had set up a small work area in the back corner of Devlock's Warehouse B, running tests on a Y3RT clone rig. It had exactly the same processors as the actual field unit, but without any of the instruments or actuators. It would only receive simulated output and send control signals back to a sandbox that logged its instructions without actually manipulating any physical objects. In this way, the DevLock engineers could fake any number of errors or catastrophic events and see how the AI responded without putting their actual hardware at risk. How do you normally deal with this? Nor asked. Well, we don't usually look at the raw feed, Baroth said. We have filters and aggregators to create summary reports, and then we can drill down into specific events for details. But since we don't know exactly what we are looking for here... We have to consider all the data. Yes. I suppose we could start by looking for all instances of the hex code that Emilio noticed. Right. The origin of the mystery commands. Nor tapped at her tablet and orange highlight boxes started appearing in her data stream. Wow, there's a lot of them. Those are just polling requests, Baroth said. What does that mean? Trey's mystery module is actively asking for information from other processes, but most of the time they're not responding because they don't understand the request. Why would one process make requests that other processes can't understand? Baroth shook his head. That's what worries me. It indicates that this code was not written by someone at Devlock, someone who would know the inter-process communication protocols we are using for Y3RT. Certainly not Trey. This is a lot of wasted cycles, sending out requests that will never get a response. He straightened up and started tapping at his own tablet. But maybe... What about this? Nor had paused her display a few times to actually read some of the log data, and she had noticed another string of letters and numbers repeating a lot. She highlighted the new sequence in green. Look, this code keeps repeating too, and it shows up right after a lot of the mystery requests. Baroth glanced at her tablet. You'll have to check the access table to identify which process that is. I'm looking at something else right now. Give me a minute. Nor lowered her tablet and peeked at what Baroth was doing. He had opened a new terminal window and seemed to be writing some kind of script to process the log data, nor had seen him do this before, and it always took longer than he claimed it would. Okay, she put down her tablet. I'll be back. Mm-hmm, Baroth said without looking up. Nor walked out the side door of the warehouse and did a quick circuit around the building, just to make sure nobody had noticed them working in here. She wasn't as paranoid as Baroth seemed to be right now, 
but she couldn't blame him for worrying. She remembered how tense and horrified the entire Devlock staff had been right after the gray goo incident, making her first week on the job less than pleasant. But Nor hadn't witnessed any of it firsthand like Baroth had. Or Cameron. Nor reached into her jacket pocket and pulled out the flip phone. She'd managed to distract herself from thinking about Cameron for a couple of hours, but now that they were back in Nor's head, she was once again overwhelmed by a whole horde of conflicting feelings. But all those feelings said the same thing. Talk to them. Nor powered up the flip phone, followed the activation instructions, and dialed Cameron's number from memory, smiling as she did so. Seriously, who remembered phone numbers anymore? But this one was important. Cameron picked up halfway through the second ring. Hello? Cameron? It's Nor. I'm sorry. It was hard to understand Cameron's next several sentences through their sobs, but Nor eventually got them to tell her where they were. It took her nearly ten minutes to drive there. The last three minutes were over unpaved desert terrain, and she had to balance her concern for Cameron and desire to go faster with the discomfort of her teeth rattling over each bump. When Nor finally got there, she found Cameron sitting alone in a cold car, curled up in the driver's seat and crying softly. She didn't say a word as she undid Cameron's seatbelt, tugged them out of the car, and half-carried them to her own car. Then she drove back to her apartment, glancing over every few seconds at Cameron, who had at least stopped crying, but afraid to say anything that might set them off again. At least they're alive, Nor thought. At least they're still alive. By the time they reached Nor's apartment, Cameron was able to tumble out of the car on their own and walk themselves up the stairs, with Nor leading them by one hand. Nor couldn't help noticing how cold Cameron's hand was, and she didn't think it was just from sitting in an unheated car in the desert at night for what must have been nearly an hour. Once inside, Nor guided Cameron to the living room couch, where they promptly slumped over and gazed blankly at the wall. Nor watched them for a moment, then went into the kitchen to make some tea. She always felt tea helped people center themselves. If nothing else, it would warm both of them up. By the time the kettle boiled, Cameron had fallen asleep. Nor let them sleep. Sunlight crawled over Cameron's face, and they rolled onto their other side to avoid it. Then the sensations registered, and they realized that they were not in their own bed. They opened their eyes and saw an unfamiliar couch. Wait, what? Cameron sat upright, causing the blanket that had been covering them to slide to the ground. They were still wearing all their clothes from last night, though someone had taken off their shoes and placed them next to the couch. Where am I? They had definitely never been in this apartment before. Cameron's eyes took in their surroundings. A modest-sized, fairly modern apartment. Single bedroom from the look of it. Hallway demarcating the living room slash dining area boundary. Three-person couch in the living room currently occupied by a very confused Cameron. Small round table with three chairs in the dining area. Kitchen around the corner. 
abstract modern art on the walls. Hang on, is this one of those furnished corporate apartments? Cameron heard metal-on-metal clanking noises from the kitchen area and stood. They smelled something cooking. Wow, it smelled really good. They took a few tentative steps forward, clutching the blanket in front of them. Hello? The clanking noises stopped, and Cameron heard footsteps, and then Nor's head appeared from out of the kitchen. Good morning, you, Nor said, smiling. Hungry? Cameron nodded. There was so much they wanted to say, but they were afraid of ruining this beautiful moment. She's cooking me breakfast. They had to say it, though. Our phones. I pulled all the batteries. Sit. Nor pulled out one of the chairs from the dining table. It's almost ready. Cameron sat. A moment later, before Cameron could decide what the hell was going on in the weird pastel swirls of the painting hanging beside the dining table, Nor came out of the kitchen carrying a plate of scrambled eggs and a plate of toast. She set those down on the table, then went back into the kitchen and emerged with a platter of four different sliced cheeses and a bowl of olives. Then she went back again and again. By the time she was done, the entire dining room table was covered with enough food and drink for at least a dozen hungry Camerons. I wasn't sure what you liked, Nor said, sitting down next to Cameron. And sorry I don't have any bacon. No, this is fine. Cameron swallowed the lump in their throat and reached for Nor's hand. This is wonderful. Thank you. They stared at each other for a long moment. Then Nor waved her other hand and said, Eat before it gets cold. Eggs? Yes, please. Nor served Cameron a few things, and they both ate in silence. Cameron hadn't realized how hungry they were, and Nor's coffee was a revelation. After making a healthy dent in the breakfast offerings, Cameron touched Nor's shoulder. Nor put down her bread and cheese and turned her body toward Cameron. Thank you, Cameron said, for everything. I, I'm sorry about last night. It was a lot to put on you. It wasn't, Nor said, taking Cameron's hand in both of hers and kissing it gently. Do you want to talk about it? Cameron put their other hand over Nor's and squeezed. I quit last night. Nor raised both eyebrows. You what? I quit. I quit watch over. Cameron squeezed their eyes shut and felt the tears starting again. I just couldn't. After everything that happened last night. It's okay, Nor said quietly. It's okay. But it's not. Cameron opened their eyes and looked at Nor. I don't know if I can make you understand. And it's not just the stupid surveillance thing, though that just makes everything worse. Because if they were watching us all this time, if they saw everything we did and they still let this happen... What happened? Nor asked. You mean watch over taking second place? Yes. But no, it's not the fact that we came in second. It's why... Cameron pulled their hands away from Nor and wiped their face. Because our AI performed unexpectedly, again, and that's not acceptable. We can't have unpredictable machines doing something as important as this. They balled their hands into fists. 
And if Stephanie and Lakshmi knew, if they knew and didn't care, or if they didn't know, if they just didn't understand, it's bad any way you look at it. Okay, this is a problem. I get that. Nor put her hands over Cameron's fists. But is quitting the right answer? If you stay, you can help fix it. What if I'm the problem? Cameron blurted. What if it's my fault? All of it. What if it was always my fault and we just didn't know? What if it's just going to get worse? They opened their fists and gripped Nor's hands tight. I can't let that happen. I can't be the cause. I can't keep letting everybody down. They kept seeing that devastated Mesa in their mind's eye, as clear as the first time, and it remained as unexplained as it had always been. Maybe they would never get to the bottom of it, and maybe it was better that way. I'm leaving, Cameron said, looking up at Nor. I have to leave. Will you come with me? Okay, slow down, Nor said, holding Cameron's hands firmly, but not so tightly as to seem too possessive. We're just talking, right? You know you can tell me anything. We can talk somewhere else, Cameron said. Hawaii, Tahiti, some other island ending in E that's not underwater yet. Where do you want to go? Nor opened her mouth, then closed it. She didn't want to go anywhere, but she couldn't tell Cameron that. How was she supposed to explain that she felt like she was finally understanding not just AI, but the entire thrill of engineering? Putting together a machine, making it work, improving it little by little. It was art that could produce a tangible result. And what Devlock's robots were doing now approached the miraculous. Same with Watchover. Nor couldn't imagine leaving right now, right before the final trial, which promised to be orders of magnitude more challenging than anything they had attempted before. How could she explain all that without losing Cameron, who was so clearly done with all of it? True, this might be a momentary despair, but their desire to walk away was real. Nor could see that in Cameron's eyes, all over their face. She had to accept that, even if she didn't agree with it. But Cameron didn't just want to talk. They wanted to take action. And Nor understood that. The desire to feel like you were doing something, making some kind of progress. But she didn't think that in this case, Cameron was moving toward a goal. They were running away. And Nor didn't want to run away. Not even with Cameron. A lot happened last night, Nor said softly. And... I can't imagine how hard all of this is on you right now. But why don't we just stay here? Right here. For a day or two. Just you and me. She squeezed Cameron's hands. Cameron's face had gone blank. You don't want to go with me. I want to be with you. Nor leaned closer. But no, I don't want to go. I can't go. Not now. And I don't think you really want to either. Cameron pulled their hands away. You don't believe me? Of course I believe you. Of course I do. I believe everything you're saying. But... Nor hesitated, seeing Cameron's expression starting to harden. 
I believe in you above anything else, and I don't believe that you could ever possibly be the cause of anything bad. Cameron's face softened, and Nora felt her own pulse slowing a little. I don't know, Cameron said. I just don't know anymore. You need time. Nora pulled the blanket up from Cameron's lap and wrapped it around their shoulders. Stay here for a little while. Stay with me. I can cook, as you can see. A smile flickered across Cameron's face. Yes, you can. They looked up. I'm not sure what I can contribute to the household. Nor traced a finger from Cameron's ear down their jawline to their chin. We'll think of something. A loud electronic chime made them both jump in their chairs. Nor looked over and saw her tablet screen flashing by the door. Sorry. She stood and shook her head. I can't turn off these stupid alerts from Devlock. I'll just be a second. I'll be here. Cameron said. Nora walked over, picked up her tablet, and read the message that had just come in. It was from Baroth. I ARPA update. Challenge three packet coming in this morning. Where are you? Nora felt her pulse racing again, and in this moment, she hated it. She hated that she wanted so much to be a part of Marsite, to make whatever small contribution she could to turning this centuries-old dream into a reality. She hated that she was falling in love with it at the very same moment that Cameron wanted to leave it all behind. It's trial three, isn't it? Cameron asked. Nor started, put her phone down, and went back to the dining table. It can wait. Now Cameron did smile. But you don't want to. Nor wished her heart would stop pounding. I want to be with you. I'll be fine. Cameron nodded at the table. I won't starve, that's for sure. I don't want to leave you alone right now. Cameron stared at her for a moment, then leaned forward and kissed her. Nor closed her eyes and kissed back. When they finished, Nor knew everything that she needed to know. Go. Cameron said, I'll be here. Nor smiled and gave their hands one more squeeze. You better. After Nor left, Cameron poured themselves another cup of her magnificent coffee. Part of them wanted to ask Nor how she made it. Another part just wanted to wake up every morning to that wonderful smell and that wonderful woman. Cameron had downed half the cup and started nibbling on some olives when there was a knock on the door. They frowned and stood up. Had Nora forgotten her keys? Something else? They walked over to the door and opened it. Good morning, said Hira Watanabe. Is this a good time to talk? You're listening to Machina, narrated by Natalie Nottis. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Machina is written by Fran Wild, Malka Older, and Curtis C. Chen. Produced by Marco Palmieri. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.